welcome back to the Giving Back to Gwinnett podcast. Each episode, we tackle community issues, tell stories that matter, and show how you can make a difference. Presented by the Gwinnett Coalition and the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia, Giving Back to Gwinnett showcases the nonprofits and people making an impact in Gwinnett. I'm Heather Loveridge, founder of Magnolia Media Group and chief storyteller for the Community Foundation, and I'm your host. Today, we are tackling a very important topic, especially in light of what we've all experienced during the past year, mental and behavioral health. Um, I'm joined today by Chad Jones, who is Vice President for Business Development for Viewpoint Health here in Gwinnett, and Fairly Barge, Farley Barge, sorry, Farley, co-founder and executive director of Navigate Recovery, also here in Gwinnett. Um, well, welcome, everyone, and thanks for being with us today. And Thanks so much. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, you're welcome. So, Chad, tell our listeners a little bit about Viewpoint Health um, and what you want them to know about who you guys are. Okay. Yeah, and thanks so much for having us. This is a great honor. Uh, so, Viewpoint Health, we are uh, listed as one of the 23 community service boards in Georgia, which is just a fancy way of saying we're the safety net. And what a safety net provider is, is really focusing on individuals that are uninsured uh, or underinsured uh, and really have high risk, most in need kind of challenges. We offer a full range of services from outpatient services all the way to, we do a lot of community-based work. Um, uh, we are embedded in the schools and jails and all those kinds of things. Um, but really, I think what I'd like for people to to, to know the the most about Viewpoint Health is being a, a safety net where we provide a full continuum of care. So we are a full comprehensive provider. So if you have everything from a crisis and need crisis stabilization, if something like that happens, then reach out to us. Uh, if you don't have that kind of need with, with crisis, it, and it goes all the way down that continuum and say, hey, I just need someone to talk to my kids. You know, um, we, we provide that, that service as well. So um, kind of the, you know, as the industry term here, the one-stop shop, you know, we're kind of right. the one-stop shop for, the, for that. And we just want people to know that we are definitely um, uh, the safety net provider. And we're here to, to, to uh, you know, offer all those full continuum care services. Yeah, awesome. I remember when I visited you guys with Randy and I was just impressed with just how yeah. much was offered and yeah. how, how big you guys are and how many, you know, just uh, how much you cover. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Farley. Um, tell us a little bit about Navigate Recovery and what you want people to know about the important work you guys are doing. Well, thank you, Heather. Uh, so at Navigate Recovery Gwinnett, what we do is we provide um, services to connect individuals and families that have been affected by the addiction crisis. And for those of us that have been around for a little while, you might remember that was the crisis that we had before the COVID crisis. And unfortunately, um, it's not gone away. In fact, it's gotten worse mm -hmm. during the time frame. But our, our real focus is um, to provide peer supports for those individuals. That's people that have the same or similar lived experience that are a little further down the road that can, can sort of lend a helping hand to someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, to carry them along the way and we do that in five uh, local uh, emergency rooms here in Gwinnett County uh, at Eastside Hospital at uh, Northside Hospital and at Emory Johns Creek um, we do that every day seven days a week um, 12 hours a day uh, for for those folks as well as provide walk-in services and recovery coaching for individuals or family members that are affected um, which is really important, by the way. And, uh, uh, and we do that as well uh, six days a week in, in our facilities in Lawrenceville. Awesome. Well, I love that surround sound because, like you said, you, if the families don't understand what's happening or how to support or what they need to do, 
Um, yes. That, that's a big missing piece. Very important. Um, and if I remember correctly, too, everyone who works for Navigate Recovery Gwinnett is also in recovery, correct? Yes, they are, and that's the peer-based part of it. So mm-hmm. these are people with lived experiences that have been there. Um, many times they've sat in that same bed in that hospital uh, as the individual they're talking to. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a pretty powerful um, connection that's mm-hmm. made with them because uh, suddenly uh, someone feels safe and can talk openly about their their addiction and their problems and and hopefully uh, can connect and continue to get, receive help, which um, we do one other thing, which is we also track with everyone for up to a full year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't drop them off after 90 days like most uh, of the services do. We, we stay with them for a year because oftentimes people will come back mm-hmm. um, in six or seven or nine months, maybe a year later, and say, you know, you were right. I think I do have a problem. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we've partnered, uh, Heather, with, with, with the Farland Navigate and have had – um, some great success with their peers and um, as Farley said I think it, they individuals are going to talk to a someone who's been there done that more than they are to, to chat in Farley right. uh, and be, and yes. because they're going to say okay well you've walked my path and now I want to be on that path and they kind of hold their hand through that recovery path um, and just give them a huge shout out because we've we've thoroughly enjoyed that partnership with them mm. yeah and I have to say that Viewpoint Health and Jennifer Hibbard and, and their whole team were some of the first partners we had mm-hmm back in 2014 when we launched mm-hmm. so. that's right that's right <laughs> so it's been a good partnership i love that the community cap collaboration which we'll talk a little bit about later too um and we'll also talk about you know we've mentioned the pandemic and what's come out of that but let's let's go back a little bit and talk about um and farley you alluded to some of those some of the big issues you've seen in our community over the past um five or so years and i'm actually gonna i'm gonna toss it to you chad first just to talk about that yeah so uh like everything um there we live in a world right now that we say pre-covid right <laughs> you know pre-pandemic and pandemic right and post, so right. um so you say the last five years you know you gotta the last year didn't even count right now right. i mean that's yeah. just you know we, i'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit but uh um, the, but for the last five years, I think some of the biggest things that we've experienced is we have had a tremendous amount of growth rate, what I told you about, really focusing on individuals that are high risk or most in need. Yep. That growth rate really was driven uh, in part by the state behavioral health authority uh, really is under and still under a settlement agreement with the Department of Justice. And their, their goal, their agreement together, which we all agree with, it wasn't adversarial at all, but the agreement was to come together and people that were long-term hospitalization or long-term incarceration, let's get them to the most least restrictive environment. You know, people are going to do better and thrive better if they're in their community, not in a hospital setting. And you're talking about some folks for years. So little by little over the last five years, we've seen an increase of people, okay, now, now let's go to the community. So we had, you know, we had not that Heather, we didn't have community services five years ago. Of course we did, but we've seen a massive increase of what we've had to do working inside the community with people that were long-term hospitalization or incarceration. And what can we do to keep that from happening again? So that's been probably one of the biggest uh, influx of individuals coming in over the last five years. Wow. Yeah. Well, and going along with that Farley and I know you, I think you'd mentioned earlier talking about opiate crisis, Yeah. but what have you guys experienced? 
Well, um, kind of to follow along with what Brad's saying, so it, we believe that people recover better in community. Um, and the traditional model for addiction has typically been to send somebody off, maybe out of state or to another facility. And oftentimes when they come back, um, they find that, that nothing's really changed in their family setting or in their community setting. And oftentimes they relapse. That's when they're at most risk for overdose, death, or relapse is when they come out of treatment. So that's why this partnership is really important because um, when they handle the clinical side, they handle the detox, they handle the first 90 days of someone's recovery, where do they go from there? And uh, really that's what Navigate Recovery is all about. We're about that safety net and stepping into that gap that exists into the current system of care um, to give those individuals and their family members continuing support for the long run. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, what's happened with the opioid crisis. Well, unfortunately, um, the, the opioid crisis is um, it's gotten worse. Um, unfortunately, uh, that was um, in large part a result of some of the requirements that were in place uh, in place of, during the COVID crisis. Um, shelter in place, for instance, um, right. uh, reduced access to services, in some cases no access to services. Um, of course, for many of the people that we serve, which are primarily people that are um, in the lower income echelon, so they, they, they have transportation issues, they have a lot of other health issues, and um, so transportation is an issue. So all of those things sort of mm -hmm. combined to um, cause a problem where, whereby people just were seeking alcohol, drugs, and other things to cope with right. their condition and, and their fears and anxieties mm -hmm. over COVID as well. R the result of that is that in the state of Georgia, um, we've had a, a huge increase in opioid-related deaths. Um, this some, just give some framework, some rough numbers around that. In uh, statewide, we had uh, 1,839 deaths in 2020. Uh, in District 3, which includes what um, Viewpoint Health addresses, we had 152. Here in Gwinnett County, we had 114. Mm. That's 75% of the 152 in the whole district, so that gives you a little bit of an idea where the where the big problems are. Right, right. Well, and Let's dive a little bit more, you know, we've been talking, kind of dancing around the pandemic and what it's caused, but I, I really want listeners to grasp, because um, they may have read a headline or, you know, maybe they got past the headline, read a little bit of an article, but to truly understand, yes, it's a nationwide, even a global issue, but what is it like here in, in our backyard? And so what's, you know, the, the crises, mental and behavioral health crises that have come out of the pandemic? So, um, Barley, I want to toss it back to you for a minute just to talk about that. And then, Chad, I want you to chime sure. in, too. Well, uh, clearly, the, the overdose deaths that I just mentioned are probably the number one crisis on our radar right now. Um, we are partnering along with Viewpoint Health and um, Gwinnett Health Department, Audrey Arona's group, um, to really start to form an action plan. Uh, we're putting an action plan in place, actually, that to help uh, combat that. Um, the first phase of that's going to be um, uh, addressing the fentanyl issue. Uh, if you're not familiar with fentanyl, it's a, it's a, a synthesized opioid that is primarily manufactured in China, comes to 
um, to the U.S. through the cartels in Mexico, and then it um, makes its way up into uh, into our country. Um, some of that comes through the ports in Savannah. In fact, we're tracking one right now that's caused a, a number of deaths um, where they have pressed um, pills that are um, uh, fake pills that are uh, Xanax and um, uh, I forget the other one. Maybe you remember, Brad. But anyway, it, and and those are being distributed to people who, again, cut off from services, didn't have access to the supports. They may go out and try to source those pills from friends or someone who who passed them off as legitimate, but they're not, and they're actually just laced with fentanyl. And uh, and we've had a number of deaths. So, um, fortunately, um, oh there is a, a solution for that um, we believe it's sort of a, a multi-part solution but but the first leg of that solution is really to get the um, the antidote Narcan mm. into the public's hands and uh, so we're involved uh, with that heavily you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks uh, as we put that uh, action plan into place um, in, in Gwinnett, I'll go back to those statistics. We had 156 deaths from 2020 through April of this year, so that includes both 2020 and this year. And um, 100 of those involve fentanyl. Wow. So that's, that's sort of the magnitude of the problem. It is, it is by far the number one killer mm -hmm. out there. And that's what you're working on with the health department, with Dr. Arona and partnership? Yes, and, yes. Okay, all of that, rolling that out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's big task. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, so, Chad, what you know? What have you guys experienced um, coming out of the pan pandemic? Well, yeah, um, as we've already said, obviously this is a year unlike any years that we've mm -hmm. had. So, I mean, for us, um, I mean, World Health Organization has said it. Uh, obviously, CDC's followed up, but that the, really the new pandemic is mental health right now. Mm -hmm. When we're in the second phase of a pandemic called the mental health. Um, we uh, we started experiencing uh, early on uh, some of the supportive employment challenges because a lot of our clients, individuals that we serve, are going to be in sectors or they working in sectors that got laid off. Mm. So that was the first hit. Right. So we're like, okay, well, now let's really look at this. Then that trickled down. It, it, as soon as it hit the employment sector, then it hit the housing. So now you, if you don't have the employment, then how are you going to be housed? We had, Heather, we had, just to, just to give you a ballpark here, we've always had emergency supportive housing that we offer. That, just that fund that we do emergency housing, we're just trying to get people housed, and then we, we do something called housing first. Like, just get housed first, right. and then we'll talk right. about behavioral health. You don't have to jump through behavioral health circles to qualify for housing. So we, that, just that little emergency housing fund that we have, uh, by, just, just absolutely skyrocketed to 520% this past year. Wow. So we're talking about five figures went to six figures in a matter of months mm -hmm. um, of just getting, uh, using those dollars to get people housed and, and, and supported. And then, um, then uh, you know, right in the heart of it, uh, as the housing issue was happening, uh, obviously there were some moratoriums and things put on um, those kind of uh, evictions and things like this, which helped, which helped. But we did with just the housing, the homeless rate was just skyrocketing in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Then we had uh, situations where it just became too much for too many people. Mm -hmm. um, the suicidality rate did go up. It went up nationally, not right. just Gwinnett County. Right. 
attempts went up nationally, not just Gwinnett County. So you had this effect. It was first hit the you know hit the pocketbook, then it hit the homestead, and then it hit the the whole well-being, and mm-hmm. it was just this. And you could see it coming like a tidal wave. I mean, and there's you just, there's nothing you can do but stand in front of it and just just let it, it's going to hit. Uh, and so we we have what we've done is uh, just, and I'm speaking not only just for for our team but just me alone. I'll just give you my numbers. I, I've written more grants this past year. <laughs> <laughs> related to the pandemic, pulled out more grants this past year than the last seven years combined. Wow. So it's just going after, you know, grant after grant after grant, everything you could pull down to be able to turn every one of those dollars into services for the community because the need was so great mm-hmm. this past year. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, we we know it's real and we know there's a big issue, but we tend to think, oh, that's somebody else. Right, or, right, that's right. But when you can tell somebody a story then that makes it real for them. Do you guys, you know, and I know we have to protect privacy and all that, but do you have any stories you can share that just really illustrate kind of what's been happening? Yeah, I, I think for us, is that all right? Go. Oh, yeah. Okay, go. Um, so um, not to j- jump in front of <laughs> Farley here, but just I, I think for us, one of the stories that resonated really well with, with individuals of like, oh, wow, this is Gwinnett County. This is here, you mm-hmm. know, um, was – when individuals, when you know the pandemic first started happening, and individuals realized, okay, we've got something here. This is this is serious, and people started going to the emergency departments. The emergency departments were so overwhelmed in Gwinnett County that they were absolutely playing. They're having to pick and choose. Okay, who is at a level of care? Say, Farley has higher symptoms, so he's going to stay in the ED bed. But Heather, even though you're positive and even though you have symptoms, you're going to have to go. Mm. You're you're left. And it, it was it was really this this. Um, I, I can't imagine the, the position that the nurses and doctors were in to say, look, we have limited number of beds, and we're going to have to go with the high of the high. Right. And and so what happened was you had individuals that were positive that needed to still isolate because remember quarantining was people that were you know were around something but isolation were people that were positive with symptoms right so they needed to to isolate but isolate where because it to properly isolate under the cdc and department of public health guidelines you had to have a single bathroom and a single bedroom you had to access and no one else could access that bathroom well where are they going to go a lot of these apartments that they were coming and going or, or staying or staying with family or whatever it is they had one bathroom so so we worked with Department of Public Health. This was a great partnership. Department of Public Health came to us in Home First Gwinnett. So we worked with them. I got to give a huge shout-out to uh, the Holiday and Infant Energy Center. So sorry. Got to plug that. Because we met with them, and they gave us the whole second floor. Wow. And we created a program uh, we called just Project First. It was a little acronym I came up with for individual, for Isolated Recovery and Supportive Transitions was what <laughs> FRST was. Um, and it was individuals that had to isolate and recover properly but couldn't go back to where they came from, hmm. home, friend, wherever, family, whatever. So they went to the Holiday Inn. And um, the Department of Public Health pulled down some dollars to pay that. Our, our staff did all the visits. So, obviously, I was dropping off food and Chick-fil-A. Farley, Heather, you should have seen me. I look like a stormtrooper coming in there. I mean, this is early days of the pandemic. So, it, was, it wasn't just wear a mask. It was like, I mean, I look like something coming out of sci-fi <laughs> fiction or something. But um, it was, so, we were dropping off food and groceries and just checking with people. We, we made a whole protocol, how they could enter the hotel on the backside and this kind of thing. Um, and it was a it was a huge success um, because it gave people a chance to recover. Uh, even children, parents and children were there together uh, to recover in a in a safe, stable environment, um, and then go then from that point. Then you could go obviously to to your next uh, destination. But um, 
but the ERs, you know, they were you know, they were grateful because they didn't, we don't know what to do. We don't have space. Right. So it was one of those situations that was in right here in Gwinnett County back, mm-hmm. backyard that some people um, probably don't even know what went on. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a big success. Yeah. It's those supposedly untold. They're not right. untold to those who know, but to the rest of us right. and, and that the partnerships, like that's to me, that's been one of the silver linings that come, has come out of this. Just seeing right. people go, okay, how can we get creative and figure out how to, how to solve mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Um, finally, what about you guys, you know? Well, um, so the effect of the coronavirus on the services that we provide was a little different. Um, because we are a vendor with uh, most of the hospitals that we uh, partner with, um, every one of the hospitals did the same thing all at once. They shut off all vendor access. Mm-hmm. So that meant that we had to operate virtually uh, and try to still stay connected. So if they had someone show up, they would st- they would call us. But the reality of that situation was just as Brad outlined. You know, they had a they had a priority list. I mean, they had to treat the worst of the worst first, and they were overwhelmed. So, in most cases, what happened if someone came in with an addiction, um, they uh, and they were uh, underinsured or not insured at all, um, they were probably referred to, to Viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Viewpoint because of COVID had to change their protocols sure. and their setup. So they had reduced beds available for, for those, those people. And, um, and then the net net of it was that in a lot of cases, they just, they were treated and they had to go home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we would try to pick that ball up from there and stay in contact with them, which we did with many. In fact, our call volume went up uh tremendously during during covid last year we had more calls last year than we've ever met placed before but that was in lieu of meeting with them in person so we were just constantly trying to reach out to people and and have conversations and see how they're doing and just in the hopes to keep them moving along um now it it, as as things began to ease up a little bit as we got towards uh, late summer uh, time frame we started to see some of the more severe cases coming into the office well i need help now you know or family members coming in i need help now can you help me and and since that time our the floodgates have basically opened and and we're seeing more people now than than we've seen in quite a while in fact uh recent numbers just from um we know from the hospital side alone that they're seeing uh, averaging about two overdoses a day there um now that's an average some days they don't have any but typically that happens on the weekends or close to the weekends so they get a lot on the weekends and we'll get six or seven calls in some days you know Mm -hmm. um so that's that's kind of what how it affected us and um you know there's many personal stories that go along with that but they all have a similar um storyline if you will Mm -hmm. and that's that they they had access they were doing better they got worse and um some of them died, and uh, those that survived are trying to are trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, let's um, let's transition. You know, kind of we talked about the the past, and let's talk about kind of what's happening right now. Because, um, you know, like we've acknowledged, we're on the tail end, um, and just dealing with the effects of you know the second pandemic, kind of like we said, the second mm-hmm. crisis. Right. Um, so. You know, Chad, you know, maybe this is where you want to talk about resilient Gwinnett, but kind of what's going on right now with Viewpoint Health and, and 
uh, kind of tackling what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So um, what we're doing is obviously trying to be more proactive. I think that sometimes when these pandemics, and not just this, but just state of emergencies happen, mm-hmm. uh, or something hits the news, you know, some uh, people refer to, oh, the mental health crisis, mental health crisis. Mental health itself is not a crisis. What the crisis part of mental health is, is the access to care. Mm-hmm. It's staying in care, mm-hmm. all right? So um, if you, you could have a brick-and-mortar shop, and we have five of them. Mm-hmm. We have actually a lot more. We have five clinics, but a lot more than just, just those clinics. Um, and you can say, hey, people, uh, you know, Heather, you can grab somebody. Hey, here, here's this guy's card. Go down and see this guy, all right? But there's a transaction that happens between you referring somebody and them actually walking through the door. So what we've done over the last few years and what we've applied for recently with some federal grants is to really enhance that access to care and take it to people where they're at. So we, we've done it a couple years ago. We started in the school system. We had four schools where we had a clinician embedded at the school. So you're, you're keeping a mom or dad from taking their kid out of the school to take them to an appointment. Well, the appointment's at school. So you don't have to check anybody out. We've gone from four schools to 31. We have 31 schools. Um, so it's taking that kind of concept and really beefing up what we're doing in the community to say, hey, we're going to meet people where they're at. And we're going to get creative with a plan of care around what people want. So meet them where they're at, give them what they want. Mm. And, um, and by doing that, uh, like I said, we're, we're, apply, we're applying for several federal grants. One is, is, is a certified community behavioral health clinic is what the, what the acronym is, CCBHC. By doing that, you're talking about community-level care on steroids. I mean, it's just, I mean, if this comes through with the other grants we put together, some working with Farley on some medication-assisted treatment type stuff, you, you bring all that together, then you've got, you know, like I said, community work on steroids. I mean, it's going to be just completely overpowered, really enhance what we're already doing. But that's what we're trying to do to address it is try to really focus around how do we see mental health. That mental health itself is not the crisis. The access to care and staying in care is the crisis. So how can we bring the access to people at more spots, more places? We do a lot of this, Heather, with law enforcement. So not only I mentioned we have a clinicians better in the school, we now have clinicians better in law enforcement. They actually do ride-alongs with law enforcement. We call it, we call it a co-responder model so that the deputy can say, you know, Deputy Farley over here can grab Chad and say, hey, Chad, hey, I think we got a mental health situation. Come over here and talk to this guy. Uh, we've kept we've worked with them over the years and, and really have reduced the, the level of incarcerations. Uh, like significant, when I say reduce it, like significantly reduce the level of incarceration where Officer Farley has to take somebody in. So it's working of meeting people where they're at and giving them what they want, really. It's our focus. So would you say also, because, um, you know, thinking through this going, there's there's also the aspect, I think, of people are more aware, and so maybe we're lessening the stigma around mental health and getting help and, mm-hmm. you know, even behavioral health. Would, what would you guys say to that? Well, definitely. Um, so reducing stigma is a huge area of concern on our part. The um, because stigma does still exist. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Um, I just read an article just this morning about the uh, data showing that women, for instance, are now uh, have surpassed men in their use of alcohol. Um, and, and it affects women so much more dramatically than it does men uh, for mental health reasons and for other reasons. And um, they have a lot more negative outcomes when they, when they, when they drink alcohol. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's, an, that's a statistic that people aren't familiar with. They don't recognize that. Um, and so when we, when we realize that 
um, and we treat it like a chronic condition when we realize that addiction uh, is a chronic condition, a condition, I should say. And, um, and it's not a moral failing. It's not, um, oh, you made a bad choice. You need to stop doing that. It's not, uh, it's, it's not that you're weak-minded or weak-willed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've learned so much more about the science of addiction in the last 20 years than we've ever known before. And to a large part, it really has validated a lot of the earlier models that were developed in the fellowships and such um, in that we realize now that it takes about two years for, the, for someone to have an abstinence-based recovery before your brain reaches homeostasis. That means before it starts functioning normally again. Um, all these things are, are scientifically proven now. So it's really educating the public about that. So one of the things that we're doing to address this uh, opioid crisis that we've been talking about is uh, engaging with the health department along with Viewpoint Health. We're also partnering with Home First and several other partners. Uh, Guide is also involved in this coalition. We formed a coalition to uh, get Narcan out there, but also to educate. So we want to educate people about the science of addiction, what's really going on, because when people understand what's happening, they begin to look at it uh, a little differently, and they begin to realize that 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 it's not that my loved one is crazy and, and hates me now. Um, it's because they're being affected. Their brain chemistry has been changed by the addiction, and you know, and that that as a family member there's some things that you can do to help respond to that appropriately uh, and to support them in that uh, so so education is one of the the strong uh, areas talk about the language that we use okay so you know a lot of times we don't use the best language when we talk about people that have been affected by addiction you know we call them addicts and we call them druggies and we call them a lot of different things mm-hmm. um, that are kind of demeaning you know, um, let's face it, the, the media today doesn't uh, still portrays uh, most people with addiction as, a, as a, a, a person that is destitute and living under a bridge somewhere. Uh, now, that can be the case, but that's usually the worst case. In fact, the vast majority of people that are affected by addiction, over 70 percent, they have a job. They get up, they go to work every day. They're probably married. Uh, and have a family mm-hmm. um, so it affects a whole lot more people than 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 we realize so uh, being able to address those things and then of course to uh, distribute the Narcan get that out into the community's hands is is the final leg of that and that's really to make sure that people understand that Narcan is an antidote that it can reverse uh, an opioid um, overdose uh, in the case of fentanyl, it, you might need it a couple of three times in order to make it work because that's how powerful that particular drug is. Um, but really giving people uh, access to the education and, and the, the drug they need to reverse it. And my personal belief is that everyone, everyone should have access to Narcan. You should have it in your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, shelf life is um, tremendous um and uh, and it's very tolerant of extreme uh temperature changes and so forth so you can put it in the glove box you can put it in the refrigerator home you can and by the way you don't have to fear using it because if you use it and it wasn't necessary it doesn't have any adverse effects Hmm. i wanted to piggyback on something that's okay that farley brought up a very very good point as it related to stigma um and farley said on what people are called some of the n- labels that you right. were talking about Farley that you put on people um 
we were just we just had this conversation recently how it relates to language in stigma because um, Heather you're right that there has been an increase in mental health awareness and the pandemic probably pushed some of that too mm-hmm. um, but being aware of something doesn't overcome a stigma just because you now are aware of it. it a, a, we believe a lot of it starts with the language and I'll give you a really quick personal example this was Memorial Day not going to say any names because of obviously pr- protecting people's privacy. But one of my family members, uh, they had, um, we were talking and they are, were headed back home for Memorial Day. And we said, hey, keep us in your thoughts and prayers. I've got um, a little polyp thing that they need to test because he has lung cancer and it's now in the adrenal gland. And we said, okay, you know, sure. And so it was very open conversation, physical health. Okay, keep me in your thoughts and prayers that I may have my cancer coming back. Oh, for sure, we'll definitely do that. As that conversation was finishing, I received a crisis call from a family member and said, hey, could you guys uh, come talk to my uncle? Because, you know, my uncle's schizophrenic. So we would never look at my family member and say, hey, you're cancer. You follow me? It's language. He is my family that is battling and on the road to recover from and try to beat cancer. Mm -hmm. But the other family member said, well, come talk to my uncle. He's schizophrenic. And, and sometimes in behavioral health, we take that diagnosis or that challenge and we define people by it. And we take that and we make that the label of somebody saying, this is who they are. Heather, Heather, you know, Heather's bipolar. Heather's bipolar. Heather, Heather's schizophrenic. Well, no, Heather is Heather, who's a great lady who is on the road to recovery for schizophrenia. Right. Uh, so a lot of that stigma starts with language. And, and sure until does. we get to that point, then guess what? People will always talk about physical health. They will always talk about, well, pray for me, I'm dealing with this, or, oh, last night I had oh, my, my bronchitis, or whatever whatever it may be. People always will talk about it, but until we change that language, people are going to keep mental health very quiet because nobody wants to be labeled by it. Right, right. And that gets in your brain. I mean, that then you yeah, associate oh, yeah. that with. Oh, yeah. and, and, and I was raised in the South. I'm actually an original Atlanta native, and, uh, and I'm old enough to remember that, you know, in my family and many families, you never talked about mental right, health. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That was kept quiet. You didn't want people to know about it. In fact, there was a time when people looked at cancer that way, right? Yo, somebody, yeah. they got cancer. You know, we'll talk about that. Well, and we are out of time. So as we wrap up, because um, we always want to end these, you know, these episodes with a way for our, our viewers to get involved. Um, so, and I'll toss it to you, Chad, first, and then to Farley. Um, you know, what's the best way for people to either support uh, Viewpoint Health or get involved or just, you know, what would you say? What's the action you want our listeners to take? Yeah, uh, I'm so glad that you you posed that question. I do want to just mention one quick thing about some of the partnerships. One of the partnerships that's new for us, we have a lot of partnerships, is working in with uh, Resilient Gwinnett, which is part of Resilient Georgia. Um, And and, and getting involved in that through through that uh, organization, they're a great initiative. They're doing a, um, a lot of work around training for specifically children and youth that have an adverse childhood experiences ace we call them aces um and so we're working very closely with them of getting trained up and and giving a list of the trainings that we do and really trying to get the practitioner providers trained in that um so it's 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 getting involved um in in really kind of googling resilient gwinnett and and looking at the gwinnett coalition and and so how can i get involved and how can i support this either from a volunteer basis that um we also have uh if you say you know i don't have the time to do those kind of things we also have a um for Viewpoint Health, we have a 501c3 that is called Behavioral Health of Georgia. So how it works with that, with our 501c3, is 100% of anybody that 
puts out donations or anything, 100% goes to all this care, all these partnerships we talked about, all the care that we've talked about. Um, so it's behavioralhealthga.org. Um, and we don't even ask people to say, hey, look, just do your normal routine. Just think about it. Just remember us. This is the way for you to get involved in mental health, and this is what I mean. If, if A lot of us shop Amazon. Uh, my wife lives on Amazon. She's probably on Amazon, Heather, right now as we're doing this. Um, but we tell people, hey, if you go to Amazon, Amazon's got a great program called Amazon Smile. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Amazon, when you go check out, just look for Behavioral Health Georgia. That's it. You're going to do Amazon anyway. So just do your thing and then go there, look for Behavioral Health Georgia, and then those Amazon Smile proceeds from Amazon will, will come to us. and we can. So that's, there's ways to, to give back like that, obviously give back in time. And then educate yourself. Just so we talk about resilient Gwinnett, just educate yourself on what's going on out there, what's going on with Department of Health, what's going on with Navigate Recovery, uh, and be able to talk through it with people. Mm-hmm. Farley, over to you. What do you want our listeners, what actions can they take to help support you guys? Well, clearly they can, uh, they can volunteer with our organization. Um, they're welcome to attend meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. They're free. Everything that we offer to the public is, is provided free of charge thanks to some grants that we have from the Department of Behavioral Health and others uh, such as Gwinnett County. And so uh, we don't charge for our services, and so that, that makes it available. They can simply go to our website, which is www.navigaterecoverygwinnett.org, or you can go to navigaterecovery.org and find it also. And, um, and that's one way you'll see a, a, a giving button at the top. It allows you to sign up for volunteer work as well as donations, which you can make. Um, I would like to mention that we have a special program, uh, thanks to uh, Kathy and Joe Abraham, we call the Honor Joe Fund, which is uh, a, actually helps pay for education for people that are in recovery. So um, that's, a, that's a great uh, service that they provide, and uh, people can access that through our website as well. Or you can just simply give us a call at 678-743-1808, and we'll be happy to pick up the phone and talk to you about mm-hmm. it most any time of the day from about 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. every night. So uh, we're there. That's awesome. Well, Chad and Farley, thank you all so much thank for you. coming and just sharing with our listeners about what's going on and the important work that you guys are doing and the partnerships that are happening um, because of this. So thank you so much to everyone for joining us today for the Giving Back to Gwinnett podcast. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the Gwinnett Coalition or the Community Foundation, uh, please visit the please visit them at GwinnettCoalition.org or CFNEG.org. I'm your host, Heather Loveridge. Thanks again for joining us. And now, go make a difference in your community.